0: As Lyle Horman mentioned in the Executive Board Minutes during January, Third Church is in a historical moment. Our consistory and Executive Board have voted unanimously to leave the Reformed Church in America and join the Sydney Network. There was 100% participation in the vote, and all 53 voters voted to endorse and embrace the foundational statements of the Sending Network and petition the Classes of Central Iowa to transfer documents and fully commit to the process and this is a process outlined in the Book of Church Order that will allow our congregation to transfer from the RCA to the sending network. This is a very strong affirmation of both our direction and the unity of the Third Church leadership. Leah also mentioned that this historic moment would involve a series of smaller steps. This video is to share some of those smaller next steps.
1: First, the executive board invites you to participate in a very short survey regarding Third's plan to pursue leaving the RCA and join the sending network. As our church prepares to hold congregational meetings and have our first vote on revisions to our articles of incorporation, the board would like to know what people feel about the proposal and what questions they may answer. This survey does not serve as the official vote. That will happen at a later date. This is an opportunity for the Executive Board to get a pulse on what the congregation is thinking about this recommendation. Please refer to your Stay Connected email to take this survey. Your participation is much appreciated.
0: Now one point of clarification. Only Third Church members, those who fulfilled membership requirements, will be allowed to participate in the upcoming votes. However, This survey is for all Third Church members and regular tenders as we value everyone's opinions around this conversation.
1: Secondly, the executive board also invites you to congregational meetings on January 30th and February 6th in the chapel from 9 a.m. to 1230 p.m. Members of the board will address items that surface from the survey, as well as answering questions regarding legal considerations for leaving, which include preparations for the upcoming vote regarding Third's Articles of Incorporation. You may also email your questions to the board at executiveboard at trcpella.com. Speaking of the upcoming vote, a sample ballot to revise our Articles of Incorporation has been mailed to all members and are available at the Welcome Center. Members will be invited to attend the Congregational Prayer Meeting on Sunday, February 13, at 9.15 a.m. in the chapel and be able to cast their vote the same day on February 13, from 9 a.m. to 12.45 p.m. Absentee ballots will also be available in the church office Monday, February 7, through Friday, February 11, at noon.
0: Thank you for prayerfully considering how you are being invited to respond in this historic moment.
2: You can have a seat. A quick announcement before we get started with the message this morning. I'm, I've announced uh, a couple of weeks ago and again last week that we're, this year we're going to be working on trying to uh, do a little bit better job uh, building some community here in the auditorium. You know, the last seven years uh, of this latest generation in the auditorium, uh, you know, we've We've, we're the auditorium family, and we talk about big church small, and we're kind of like this little church family within the larger church family. But we've never really done a good job of just knowing who's who and trying to actually say, well, who who's considers themselves part of the, the auditorium family? So two things. One is that we've got our photo wall in the back, and we would like to encourage, if you're part of the auditorium family, we would just like to get to know each other by, you know, we see, faces every week coming in and out, but we may not know who each other are. So we're just encouraging people, bring a family photo. There's magnets back there. Put the picture up and uh, we're gonna be having some sheets of paper that can write people's names on it so we know the names of the kids and names of everybody in the family would be awesome. So please bring a photo. The other thing is that we've never really had a good database of, of names and addresses and email address and contact information. Now, don't worry, we're not going to broadcast or publish anything. We would just like to know if we need to communicate to the auditorium family, like, for example, on the 26th of December when we weren't meeting that day, we would love to just be able to send out an email and say, hey, by the way, there will be no auditorium service on the 26th. Or if we have prayer requests from somebody here in our auditorium family that we can that we can communicate that. So in the back table, by the coffee, we have the list of, uh, years ago, Jenny Hasseltine and Becky Denoy sat down and just tried to brainstorm, okay, who's in the auditorium, who's in the auditorium. So they started a list, but then it just kind of got stopped. So you can check that list to see if your name and information is on it. Uh, if it's not, we have some pieces of paper right back there that has just the basic information, name, uh, other family members, Uh, email contact information. You can fill this out. If the information that we have isn't correct, you can also fill one of these out to just say correct the information that you have. Uh, So we'd love that. Again, no obligation. This is if you would like to sign up and just be recognized as a member of the auditorium family here at 3rd. Okay, if you have any questions, you can talk to Wendy uh, after the service. (laughs) She'll "Ah." and Wendy is going to be picking them up and entering the information. So you can either hand it to her or just leave it on the table and she'll gather them at the end of the service. Good, golden, questions? Good, let's pray. Lord, thank you for, yeah, thanks for this auditorium family. Thanks for being together, worshiping you. Thank you for uh, the worship team and Mike and leading us. Thank you for, for uh, the tech team who keep us on our toes and make everything flow. Thank you, Lord, for, for the prayer ministers who are here to uh, pray for our healing this morning, for the elders and deacons who lead us and service communion each week. We just uh, thank you for all of it. Most of all, Lord, we just ask that you'd open up our hearts uh, to teach us this morning what you have for us. In the name of the Christ, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so we're gonna be in Mark chapter two. We're picking up where we left off last week because we're going through the book of Mark between now and Easter. But as Mike said, this is Sanctity of Life Sunday, and I really appreciated what he had to say, that we really believe that God is about life from conception until we breathe our last breath on this earth, we believe that God's intention is for the sacredness of life and goodness to be present in our lives. So I wanna, I wanna put my finger on Mark chapter two and I wanna go back to the book of Deuteronomy. Now in Deuteronomy, uh, it is like, think of Deuteronomy as we're in the toddler stage of humanity, right? God is just beginning to deal with the Hebrew people and with humanity as almost in the toddler stages. So what do you do as a parent when you've got a toddler? You lay down the law, all right? When the stove coil is red, you don't touch it, okay? And I can remember my own daughter Madison having to grab that little hand and squeeze it just enough for her to go, ah, Uh uh-huh. Don't touch when it's red. Now she might've thought that I was being kind of mean and harsh in that moment, but I was trying to teach her a lesson that was for her own good and health. So that's kind of the same thing that God is doing with humanity as he's giving out the law in Deuteronomy. Now he sums it up in chapter 30 and he says this, this day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life, and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. And he goes on, so that your children may live. So choosing life is about living, and that you may love life, love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, there's a relationship with God, and hold fast to him, embracing for the Lord is your life and he will be generous. He will give. So you're you're seeing the pattern here? Choose life because it's about goodness and embracing and relationship and wholeness and generosity and all of these good things. But the opposite of life is we can choose death. So as we pull back, I wanna start this morning getting back to the very simplest of terms. God is about life. And there is an enemy, Jesus says, who seeks a father of lies, who seeks to twist, pervert, and destroy everything that God is about so that it will bring chaos and division and anger and hatred because the enemy's trying to tear down all that God is about. You with me? So God is about life, the enemy is about death. So hold on to that thought because that's where we're gonna end up today. And I want you to see something uh, as we get there. Now you remember when in Ecclesiastes, for those of you who are part of that, that series, we kept talking about this Hebrew word hevel which is translated into English as meaningless. But we found out that it's just so much more than that. It's mist, it's vapor. It has all these layers of meaning that we can't put into one English word. Well, God's word of shalom in the Old Testament is kind of the same thing. What God wants for us, he calls shalom. Now, shalom Real quick, the root word of shalom is shalom. And in the book of Deuteronomy and Exodus, where we see it for the first time, it's in talking about when you owe somebody money. There is a debt between you and another person. And shalom means that I have made everything right. I have paid things off. I am whole, we are complete. We're restored, we're good. So shalom is the spiritual version of shalom. What God wants for us is wholeness. What God wants for us is completeness. What God wants for us is goodness, fullness of life. And when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then shalom is being whole complete, restored in heart, soul, mind, and body. That's God's desire. He wants us to experience shalom. So let's go back to Mark chapter two. And last week, um, we finished with the very first episode in Mark chapter two. Today, we're gonna to go through uh, chapter three, verse six. So we've got, one, we've got five episodes that are listed here. If you are a note taker, I'm gonna warn you right now, crack your knuckles, limber up your fingers because I'm gonna go fast, all right? And there's gonna be some stuff that you're gonna to wanna to write down, all right? Um, I wanna start with where we left off last week because as I was reading through these episodes, Uh, something struck me and the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to something that I think is is amazing. Year and a half, two years ago, I was uh, was prompted to do a little study because I had noticed that there was this, this civic group that I was observing. And I noticed that in this civic group, there were these kind of parallels between how I saw this group operating and and the Christian fundamentalist legalist groups that I experienced was part of when I was a young man. And so I decided to go, you know what? I wanna look at fundamentalism. Now, when you hear the word fundamentalism, most of us that have been followers of Christ for a long time think of fundamentalist Christians. But what I found is this. Fundamentalism is much broader of a concept than just fundamentalist Christians. And there are five elements to fundamentalism. And when these five elements are combined, it becomes a toxic cocktail that brings division, hatred, casting out, condemnation, guilt, (laughs) falsehood, Okay? And fundamentalism, the elements of fundamentalism exist in every world religion. There are fundamentalist versions of every religion. Fundamentalist elements can be found in families, okay? They can be found in businesses and corporate teams. They can be found in any institution and human system. So I learned this about a year and a half, two years ago. And as I was studying these five episodes that we're gonna read today in Mark, what the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to see is that all five elements of this toxic cocktail of fundamentalism exist in the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. So we're gonna go through these rather quickly and I'm gonna, I'm gonna reveal to you what these five elements are. So let's begin with where we left off last week. Jesus is in chapter two, verse one. Jesus enters Capernaum, he's he teaching in the house and these guys uh, bring this paralytic and they lower him through the roof uh, on a mat. And he says, look, dude, your sins are forgiven. And if you look at verse six, it says, now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. In other words, he is claiming something godly for himself that he cannot do. He's crossing the line religiously. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So here's the first element of fundamentalism an unwavering attachment to irreducible beliefs. Say it again, an unwavering attachment to irreducible beliefs. In other words, in a fundamentalist human system, we have these beliefs and they cannot be questioned. They, you cannot go against them and they cannot be reduced. They are the linchpin and we hold to them unwaveringly. Now to the fundamentalist Jewish system in Jesus' day, one of those, those unwavering attachment to irreducible beliefs was that the Messiah who was going to come was going to be this royal warrior king who's going to wipe out the Romans. He was, going to, he was going to set up his kingdom on earth. This is what they're looking for. So when Jesus comes and says, son, your sins are forgiven, what he's saying is, I can forgive sins because I'm God. But they look at that and go, no, 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 no. You can't possibly be the Messiah. You're just a man. And so he was reducing this irreducible belief in their eyes of what they expected the Messiah to be. So Jesus looks at them and he says, he, knows, he, he knew in his spirit what they were thinking in his hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man, I am the son of man, I am the Messiah. The son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, tell you, take up your mat and go home. And everyone was amazed, except for the detractors for whom Jesus has just tried to reduce their irreducible belief. So you feel the seeds of discontent within his enemies. Let's go on. Once again, Jesus went out to a bedside uh, beside the lake and a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. So a tax collector, Matthew was a Hebrew. He was a Jewish guy, been raised in the system just like everybody else. But Levi was a Roman collaborator because he collected taxes for Rome. And the way it worked, I collect what Rome requires of me and anything else that I can collect above and beyond that is mine. So Matthew was seen as a a collaborator, a traitor, a treasonous person in the eyes of the human system of Judaism. And he hung out with undesirables, okay? So while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed them. And when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with these people? They're sinners. Next element of fundamentalism. Maintain strict in-group and out-group distinctions. There are people who are in, who is acceptable to be around, and there are people who are out and you will not associate with them, okay? Matthew was definitely out, as were his friends, his fellow tax collectors, the women that were in that group were out. So the Pharisees looked at that and they immediately said, this teacher Jesus that everybody's talking about, he can't possibly be good because he's hanging around with these people. That's classic fundamentalism right there. So what does Jesus say? He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. In other words, what am I bringing? I'm trying to bring life. I'm trying to heal these people. I want them to experience shalom and be restored in relationship to God. You guys, you're religious people. According to you, you got it all figured out. So whatever, but these people, these people I want to give life to. Next episode. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting? but your disciples are not. Next element of fundamentalism. A sense of purity and ideal in thought and behavior. In other words, a fundamentalist system says, this is what you should be. And if we see you being the person you're supposed to be, then you might be in. But if you are not pure and ideal, according to the rules of our system, then again, in-growth, out-growth, you are out. But here's the thing about fundamentalist systems. The purity and ideal is usually confined to outward behavior and being clearly in agreement with the prescribed thoughts, doctrines, dogmas of the system. So Jesus, they don't see him fasting. And in that day, how did you know somebody was good and religious? They would go to the temple and stand out on the steps or the synagogue and pray publicly. They would fast. What's wrong with you today, Tom? I'm fasting, because I'm a good religious person. God must love me, because I'm fasting. Now Jesus, interestingly, says, he doesn't say that he doesn't fast. And in fact, if you go back to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says to his followers, when you pray, don't pray like the good religious fundamentalists who stand out on the, the, the stairs and say, look at me praying, I'm religious, I'm good. You can see my behavior, I'm in. No, when you pray, Jesus said, I want you to go to a closet in your house, just you and me, and we'll have this conversation. And he said, when you fast, don't do like the good fundamentalist religious people who wear a frowning face. Oh, I'm fasting. No, he says, when you fast, put on a smile. Pretend everything is great so that the people don't even know that you're fasting. So if Jesus is following his own advice, and I believe that he is, he probably was fasting. It's just that the the system, the fundamentalists couldn't see it because he's not playing the game by their rules. Interesting. Let's go on to the next one. One Sabbath, verse 23, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples, as they walked along, began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, look. Why are they doing what is unlawful in the Sabbath? He answered "Then Have you ever read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful for only the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Next element of fundamentalism. Strict literalism, to thought, dogma, doctrine, and scripture. So what the fundamentalist system that Jesus was part of growing up, they said, look, the 10 commandments, God said, one day a week, rest. Just like we've been talking about every worship service this year, we're pushing into Sabbath, Shabbat. Just take some rest. Well, as part of a good fundamentalist system, right? We have to know who's doing it and who's not. We have to know who's towing the line and who's disobeying. So what the Jewish fundamentalism did is they took the one commandment and from it, they made 39 different subservient commands. So rest must mean not needing, Uh, your bread, your dough, not picking grain, not harvesting, not 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 doing this, 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 not doing this. And then from those 39, there were a couple of hundred that got debated. So the one rule, remember God's rules? Remember back to the toddler stage? The rule is designed for your good. It's designed for shalom. It's designed for life. And who of us doesn't need some rest? Who of us doesn't get some rest or take a nap on Sunday afternoon and go, oh, I needed that, shalom. But no, that's not good enough. We have to know that you are doing everything. They're not doing anything wrong so that I know whether you're in or whether you're out. And that's what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were complaining about. Something that was meant for good, now all of a sudden it becomes a burden. Isn't that what it does? Anybody been part of a legalistic system, a fundamental system, and it's sort of like towing the line and making sure that I acceptably behave and think exactly as I'm supposed to all the time, that in and of itself steals rest from my soul. As we get into the last one here, at the beginning of chapter three, um, I wanna show this story to you. Both this last episode and the last episode in the message, these two episodes, I want you to see from the scene from The Chosen, okay? So let's take
1: a look. Shalom. Even to the 10th generation, None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. May I I see? Because they did not meet you with bread and with what? Excuse me. What are you doing? What is your name? Elam. Your friend Elam has a withered hand. Are you a healer? It is not lawful to heal on Sabbath. Which one of you who has a sheep and it falls
3: into
2: a pit on the Sabbath will not take hold of it and lift it you out? You are
1: you to speak to our congregation in such a of way. how much more value is this man than a sheep? Stop this at once. Come here, come stand here. It's okay. Elam, hey, sit down. We don't know this person. He could be a shaman. Is it lawful on Sabbath? to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill. This affliction does not brighten his life. It does not even affect his health. I think those guys are the town
3: guards. Alright, so for those of you who didn't see, first he interrupted the reading simply by standing next to this guy with a paralyzed hand. (laughs) (laughs) Then the the priest. (laughs) What? Reaping or harvesting on Shabbat? Oh, yes. I'm sorry, I've been so hungry, I forgot what day it is.
1: You may. and mockery of our little synagogue and of Torah. You will tell us your name, your lineage, your (laughs) virtue. And now your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath.
3: Have you not read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He entered the house
2: of God in the time of Ahimelech, the priest, and ate the bread of the presence,
1: which was not lawful for him to eat, but only for the priests. You would compare yourself to David. It was an emergency. Or have you not read in the law how on Shabbat the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath, but are guiltless? That's for Levites. Are you a Levite
2: of priestly lineage? Listen carefully. Something
4: greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So, the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath.
1: The Son of Man.
5: Let's go.
0: That title, Son of Man, seems to upset a lot of people. Why? I'll
4: tell you later. Not awesome.
2: Yeah. Could you feel, Shalom? when, when the disciples go, "Oh!! Ah! <laughs> Let's eat some grain. It's for our good." The next element of religious fundamentalism, the last one: rejection of any diversity of thought. Do not question the power of the system. And in this situation, think about it. Think about all of the things that we've we've read about Jesus and his healing. Think about about a withered hand. Think about the goodness of that healing. Think about a, a little girl who's raised from the dead. Think about a man who's been paralyzed and he can get up and walk. Think about a person who's been demon-possessed and they've been freed of those demons. Think about a sinner who is steeped in shame and guilt because they've been condemned by the religious system, and all of a sudden, God coming along and saying, I want to forgive you and set you free. Now, think about the goodness in each of those individuals. Think about the goodness that gets spread, not only in their life, but to everyone in their circles of influence. Think about the parents of that little girl and the goodness and shalom that came into that house because she was healed. Think about the whole community. I had to deal with this demon-possessed guy. We had to deal with him every day in the town. And now all of a sudden he's sane and he's whole. The ripple effect of shalom goes and goes and goes and goes. And now compare that to the effect of the fundamentalist system, meagerness, rules, condemnation, guilt. So where I wanna end up this morning, then look at verse six, chapter three. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This toxic cocktail ends in death and murder. And what's interesting is the Herodians, the Herodians were followers of King Herod. They in the, fundamentalist system, the Herodians were also an outgroup. They were dirty, pagan. They wouldn't be seen with the Herodians in public. But that's the way the fundamentalist system works. If anybody threatens the system, holding the system together is more important than shalom. Shalom. So if we have to mix with an out-group in order to kill Jesus, in order to keep the system functioning, that killing of Jesus is more important so that our way of working remains. We here at Third Church wanna choose life in every way. And what we celebrate is how God brings life in so many ways and in so many ways of healing. And I want to end this morning. We have a video clip that tells the story of of one of our members. And then after that, we'll have some time of prayer and worship. Go ahead.
3: I was driving uh, back to Pella from Des Moines when I got the call from the police department. And even though they didn't give me any uh, details or um, actual facts about what was happening, I just sensed there was a real seriousness to the situation.
4: I got a phone call from H.R. Vermeer saying there's been an incident at work. Um, Kyle is not doing well. You need to go to the emergency room immediately.
5: We had traveled out to uh, South Carolina the day before and then down to Florida uh, the day of. And so actually, uh, you know, I got a message uh, on my phone uh, in flight between Florida and South... South Carolina. And so when we were landing, my phone just lit up with text messages and uh, voice messages. And I thought to myself, what is going on? And so I called Monica. She shared that Kyle um, was on his way to the ER and that something really um, serious serious had happened. So I I did not have a lot of information because that was a short conversation. I had to get on a plane. So we, we took off from South Carolina and frankly, I didn't know whether Kyle would be awake or not, alive or not, when I landed.
4: There was a lady that happened to be walking by on the Vermeer bike path or walking trail Uh and heard like a loud, crash and she saw that Kyle hadn't rear-ended somebody and was just like kind of sitting there in the parking lot. And so she called Vermeer Security and was like, hey, there's a hit and run, like hurry, like you can catch the guy if you come soon enough. And so Vermeer Security, was three guys came running basically out of the security office. Kyle was parked near there and just kind of found Kyle slumped over still in reverse in Vermeer parking lot. From there, they called 911 Pella police officers. Two of them came like seconds later. They happened to just be nearby at Madison School. Um, came, started CPR on Kyle. A second officer came and had an AAD unit on him and shocked him Um, And then literally seconds after that, Pella Ambulance arrived, picked him up, brought him to the ER. um, And then from there, they were able to get Kyle stabilized and the life flight came, picked him up and brought him to Mercy. Um, And then from there, we were in ICU, the cardiac ICU with Kyle, um, you know, fighting for his life for about 16 days.
5: Every day in the ICU uh, was a battle, every day, I mean, that's what I've been told. Uh, so uh, I was fighting for my life.
4: He was um, in a coma for like three or four days, I believe. And then he slowly woke up from that. And from there, it was kind of just um, a long wait. Um, the only thing we could really do was lean on God and prayer and just hope and confidence in God that you know we were gonna make it through this and come out the other side.
5: One thing would pop up and we would get through it, and uh, um, slowly and surely I woke up and uh, had to learn how to walk again.
3: Every morning my sister would text me uh, scripture and prayer that uh, I would read over Kyle when I would go into the hospital room with him. And, it was nearing the end of his time in the hospital, but I was weary and not even knowing how to keep on and to pray. And so I was with Kyle and I said, I'm going to read you Melissa's prayer now and read her text message from this morning. And so I read that to him and I'm reading that over him. And all of a sudden he he goes like this and he goes, Mom, I think I just got healed. And... We claimed that, and it wasn't more than an hour later, and it was confirmed by the doctors. That problem was gone, taken care of.
5: So after I recovered you know, in the hospital and then came home and received healing there as well, uh, through physical and mentally, came uh, my memory back, and being able to move around again and walk, um, I was able to go and uh, just reflect on what had happened to me. And uh, what God kept telling me over and over was just that um, you know, we're all warriors in a battle, and uh, you know, it's a never ending battle, uh, and we obviously need community in that. Um, you know, it's not a a fight that we fight alone.
3: We look back to what happened with Kyle. Um, We know that we have a powerful God and a loving God and that we can believe that he will do what he says he's going to do. And um, we're gonna keep claiming that. We're gonna keep claiming that over and over.
2: What an awesome story. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come on up and I'm gonna ask that our elders and deacons who are gonna serve us this morning. We'll get in place as well as our prayer ministers. Do you need some life this morning? Do you need to feel some healing? And it might not just be physical. If you have need to be healed physically, it happens. God wants us to experience shalom in the fullness. But maybe it's spiritual leprosy. Sanctity of life Sunday is hard, especially for some women who, who have made a regrettable decision that they, they wish they'd never made. And maybe I've known many that have just felt the spiritual leprosy of that. Like I'm worthless and I could never be forgiven. Jesus wants to give you shalom and forgiveness. So maybe you need to be healed of spiritual leprosy. Maybe your mind needs to be healed from some of these toxic thinking patterns, whatever it is. We're gonna worship this morning for a couple of songs. We can come up, and take communion. If you need prayer for healing, prayer ministers will be standing here in whatever way you need healing, just let them know, and they'd like to pray over you. Let's worship together.